Hello, everyone. My name is JT Wistersill, and I'm excited to welcome you to another edition of the From the Stands podcast on today's show. We're going to be diving into some quarterback news around the NFL. We're going to start things off with the Russell Wilson, that whole situation that just popped up out of nowhere, it seemed like. Also, the Deshaun Watson trade. I've never broken it down on this podcast, talking about potential places he could end up. So I'm going to do that today. And then I got a huge thing on all-star snubs. Every fan base thinks they got a guy who should have made the all-star game that didn't. And I'm going to dive into all those players and all those complaints about guys who people are like, oh, he should have been an all-star and evaluate who the true snubs really were. So who the actual snubs were, pretenders to contenders in terms of snubs, the fakes to the real snubs. But as I said, we're going to start with that NFL news. And let's start out with what's going on with Russell Wilson right now. So Russell Wilson has not demanded a trade per his agent, Mark Rogers, from Adam Scheffner's Twitter account. But Wilson has told the Seahawks he wants to play in Seattle. But if a trade were considered, the only team he would go, the only teams he would go to are Cowboys, Saints, Raiders, or Bears. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because this is the, there's just a simple reason why Russell Wilson is not going to get traded. And it's not even the fact that he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and you'd be ludicrous to trade him. It's because, at least for this season, Russell Wilson trading him would require the Seahawks to take on an NFL record $39 million in dead money onto their cap. That would be the largest cap hit in NFL history, passing what the Rams are taking on for, the Lions are taking on for Matt Stafford, and now what the Eagles are taking on for Carson Wentz. But obviously, this is a massive difference between those guys. Stafford, I'd fight and say he's probably a top 10 quarterback, but that's definitely a debate. Wentz had the worst year of his career by far last year, and you could justify wanting to get him out of the building. Everything in Philly it just looked like it was broken and not fixable. So to me, it makes a bunch of sense to move off of him. And like I said, with Russell Wilson, I mean, that's so you're six million more in dead money they would be paying than the Eagles would be, who moved off a bad quarterback last year versus guy Russell Wilson, who for the first eight weeks of the season, we thought was going to win the MVP. So there's no way they tried Russell Wilson. He's too phenomenal of a talent. They just got to continue to upgrade the offensive line. Yes, it's hard to do that when you don't have your first round pick this year or next year, if I if my memory serves me correctly. But you can get some of those veteran guys. Watch a guy like Alex Mack who's the Falcon center. He's going to be moving on, I think, after this off se- this upcoming offseason. So sign some of the veterans, draft well in the second and third round, build a good roster around Russ, and he's going to want to stay. And he even said here, he wants to still stay in Seattle, but he would be open to a trade. Honestly, I feel like Russ might demand a trade, but I feel like he still likes it in Seattle, and he realizes they're not going to trade him for $30 million in dead money. And he can obviously still contend. I would not be shocked if the Seahawks are holding up a Lombardi trophy next year. There are only a few moves along that offensive line away when you have a guy as special as Russell Wilson and some of those receivers they have. And the defense is always going to be good under Pete Carroll. Excited to see what their new offensive coordinator is going to do up there as well. So that's where we're going to leave it with the Russell Wilson thing. Because like I said, I just don't see him getting traded. I really think that's the end of it. So moving on, let's talk about Deshaun Watson. To me, he's one of the five best young quarterbacks in the NFL. I one of the five best quarterbacks just in general, not young quarterbacks. He's a top five quarterback in this league coming off the best season of his career. And the Texans still ended up with the third overall pick in this year's draft because that's how bad the team around him was. We know the defense was awful. They're releasing J.J. Watt anyways, which the J.J. Watt thing, by the way, he could make $16 million per year. There have been some reports. So it'll be really interesting to see where he ends up because he's chasing money. Still, there's no way he's ended up on Steelers because they can't afford it. But focusing on Deshaun Watson still, one of the best young quarterbacks in the game. Love his ability to buy time, get out of the pocket. He's got a great arm. He's accurate, great leadership. He's everything you want in a quarterback. He's won at every level he's ever been at. And he's going to continue to win the NFL. So obviously the Texans don't want to trade him, but 
when a guy demands a trade like Deshaun Watson has, these scenarios and situations never end well. Deshaun's going get to his, get, his, get his way. He's going to get out of Houston eventually. In 2021, I just have a hard time envisioning, and I know they're turning everyone's calls away, but honestly, I think it's smart to listen because you're not going to get this guy back. So why draw the situation, lose some of the trade value you have now? Maybe that'll still be be there come the springtime, but still, I just, I really, I think I'd move him now. I really would, because I really think there are some phenomenal offers on the table right now. I personally would want to move him before this current draft, and I'm about to get into why that is. Every trade offer I'm going to go over, I have five teams here. It's the five most likely teams that are going to trade for him, I think. Their picks are most valuable this upcoming draft. And you might ask why, and it's pretty obvious. Because Deshaun Watson, whatever team he goes to, is going to become an instant contender. They're going to become so good right away. That first-round pick is almost instantly going to be in the 20s. So I would rather have first-round picks that are current, that are right now, this coming draft, because I know they're going to be a lot higher, or even some of their young, established players. I'd rather have those guys than future draft picks because you could say, oh, we got five firsts from this one team, but where are they all going to be if they're in the 20s versus you get three first round picks from one team and maybe two of them are in the top 10 or something like that? I mean, that would be an unbelievable offer and one you cannot pass up. So let's get into those five, my top five destinations for Deshaun. And the honorable mention is every team without a franchise quarterback. Now, you may be wondering, what teams does that include? Well, if you're asking the question, hmm, is my quarterback a franchise quarterback? Then yes, your team should be interested in Deshaun Watson. Obviously, the Chiefs would not be interested in Deshaun Watson. It's only those teams where I have quarterback situations like that. Even someone like the Seahawks, they could be interested now in Deshaun Watson if Russell Wilson, but Russell Wilson has the no trade clause. So that one doesn't even work, I just remember. Russell Wilson has a no trade clause. He's not going to say, yeah, trade me to Houston. So you get the point. Anyways, honorable mention every team who doesn't have an established QB or just a really good top 10 quarterback. So the top five, let's start out with number five is the Bears. I think they still could offer some nice picks up. They still have a nice combination of young guys that they might be interested in too. I think they can put together the least compelling offer out of the top five. But if you're Deshaun Watson, who also has a no trade clause, you'd be intrigued by playing with that defense. I think he could get Allen Robinson to stay, which would be huge for the Chicago team as well. And the offensive line is improving. David Montgomery, some running backs. Matt Nagy would be a nice play caller. And I think he could really open us up his offense with a guy like Deshaun Watson back there chucking the ball around. So I think I got the Bears at five, and I really think that would be a good option for Deshaun. But I don't know if they can put together as competitive of an offer as some of these other teams. At number four, I have the Denver Broncos. This is another roster that is absolutely loaded. They got some young players and some draft picks too. Yes, Drew Locke isn't the savior probably if you're the Texans trading for him, but he could still be a franchise quarterback. We still don't know. He could easily have a Baker Mayfield type year this coming year where Baker Mayfield struggled in his second year and then third year broke out. I could see Drew Locke being like that, even if he just stays in Denver. So I think that'd be an all right move for them. And they got some first round picks you could get back as well. So Denver makes a lot of sense. And if you're Deshaun, you love that defense. Offensive line is strong. And those the weapons on the outside, especially KJ Hamler, Jerry Judy, you, Tim Timmy Patrick. They, they have some nice guys on the outside. That would be Cortland Sutton, of course. I knew I was forgetting someone. Those, that's a nice group right there. At number three, I got the Jets. The Jets, they can put together great op- options, obviously. They can offer the number two overall pick. They can offer maybe even a Quinn and Williams, some of their and future first-round picks. And of these teams we're going over, if there's any future first I'd be okay taking, it's the Jets because we know the Jets always mess it up. The Jets could be similar to a Texan situation where Deshaun Watson is so good and they're still that bad because they're still the Jets. So to me, that one makes a lot of sense, the Jets. For Deshaun, I just think he'd like being in the New York market, being the star there, having his own Broadway Joe Namath. He'd be their best quarterback to ever play for the Jets since Namath for sure. 
And there's some, they got some weapons on the outside, I still think. I really like Denzel Mims. I think he's going to be good. And I, this is the one that the reason he would waive his no trade clause isn't because of the talent around him. It'd be because of the location, which in my opinion would be a mistake for Deshaun Watson. But I still think because of the offer they can put together and Deshaun's desire to play in a huge market like New York, I think it could happen. All right, now we're getting to the top two. And these are the two I would feel the most comfortable betting money on, honestly. At number two, I got the Panthers. Coming back to North coming back to North Carolina where he played from that area, playing with Clemson Ball. He's would be an absolute stud down there. We know how good DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson are. That offensive line is all right. Christian McCaffrey, oh my gosh, how much would he love throwing to that guy? And that defense is young and improving, as we saw in lots of games this past season. So I think that is a really good offer. We know Matt Rule has been rumored to really want to go get that guy at QB, and no one encompasses more that guy at QB than Deshaun Watson on the open market right now. So I really think the Panthers make a lot of sense. They would give up an absolute haul to try and get this guy. So I really think they're the most competitive offer outside of my number one team. And my number one team is the Miami Dolphins. And the Miami Dolphins to me have the godfather offer on the table. Because what did I talk about at the very start of this Deshaun Watson thing? How important first round picks are this coming draft. You don't want, don't want those future first because Watson's going to make whatever team he's on super competitive. So it's a dangerous game to play. So what can they offer? They can offer Tua, which I would still take Tua if I was them. So you could get Tua, the third overall pick, the 18th overall pick in this draft, I believe they also have. You could get another second round pick and you could even get maybe you still want a future first and a second round and then another young player right there. So I just gave in the I gave you a top five pick from last year and Tua, a top three pick with the other Dolphins pick, the 18th overall pick. So that's three first round picks, basically. And then you can have two. And if you draft a quarterback, those guys compete. And whoever doesn't win the job, as long as the other guy shows flashes, you could probably trade that quarterback for another first. And even their second round pick is going to be nice and high. So to me, and if you're Deshaun Watson, that defense is incredible. Brian Flores is an awesome head coach. You got Devontae Parker. You could recruit some guys to play on the outside too. Offensive line is all right. Same thing with the running backs, too. You can recruit some offensive linemen down there. And Miami is a huge market and an absolute great place to live. As I think most NFL players during the offseason live in L.A., but the ones who don't, I think they spend a lot of time in Miami, too. I think those are the two most popular NFL offseason cities. So to me, it's the Dolphins and everyone else. If the Dolphins want to put together a package, they can do it. And if you're the Texans, as I said, you've got to trade them now so you get these picks. you got to do it before this coming draft so you can get the best collection of talent around your guy. So... That's going to do it for the NFL talk. Now, time to move on to some all-star talk. So the Western and Eastern Conference all-star reserves were revealed. And of course, everyone said, my guy got snubbed. This guy deserved to be in. This guy deserved to be out. He was a little better than this guy. And it's very hard to measure when you have guys playing at such a high level at this year as the all-stars have. So now I'm going to dive into the all-star reserves first. Talk about, I have three tiers for the guys who were named to all-star reserves. I have the three locks that were, I think, consensus among Everyone, the one guy I there's one guy on the east and the west that I personally felt pretty strongly was a lock, and then I got those three debatable guys who it's like, should he have been an all star? These are the ones that are going to be viable to be guys to get swapped out with some of the snubs. So let's dive into it. First, we're going to start with the Eastern Conference. First up, James Harden 25 points, 11 assists. He leads the NBA in assists. He is the net second in the east, and he has been their best player as of lately, and they've had a really tough stretch without Kevin Durant, too. So I think he absolutely deserves to be an all-star. Harden is incredible. I talked about his what he's done as a playmaker last week, and we know he's just so deadly with the ball in his hands from a shooting standpoint and just getting to the basket standpoint. 
Then I got the two Celtics. So those are my other two locks here. Brown and Tatum, both are averaging over 25 a game and over five assists. They're the only reason Boston is in the playoff hunt still. Yes, I know they just did below 500 and they've had some bad losses, but these two guys have been doing an unbelievable carry job this season, getting it done on both ends of the floor. Brown and Tatum, huge fan of both those guys, had to be in this game. So the next one, this is one a lot of people probably would say he's not an all-star, but to me, he was an all-star lock. And that's Ben Simmons. 15 points, eight rebounds, seven assists. He leads the NBA in deflect deflections, and he's the best perimeter defender in the NBA. If you think I'm wrong, go watch what he did to Damian Lillard a few weeks ago. I have been so impressed by Ben Simmons this season. He is anchoring. I, I know Embiid's the rim protector, but I think he's Philly's best defensive player. He does such a good job on the outside. He does everything well, except to score the basketball on elite level. He's one of the best passers in the NBA. He's one of the best defenders. Like we just said, leads the NBA in deflections. So ask him active there. He can really guard one through five, probably better than anyone in the NBA. Yeah, Giannis and Anthony Davis are pretty good at it, but I think I take Ben Simmons over all those guys. The versatility, just the different guys he has to guard throughout, throughout a given week of an NBA season is insane. So to me, he's an all-star lock. When you have the number one record and you're playing at such a high level as Simmons is, to me, Ben Simmons was the lock. But I understand for some people he wasn't. Next up, these are the three guys I'm willing to have a debate about that say, yeah, this guy's not an all-star but he could be too. So the first one is Zach Levine. He had 28, five and five this season. He had the best season of his career, 52% from the field, 44% from deep. And he's also playing the best defense of his career. The Bulls, yes, they're still struggling, but Levine has been phenomenal this year. And you got to give him credit for the way he's improved. So he's a guy who's on the bubble for me. I have, he made the all-star game. And he's one of those bubble guys right now who could potentially be snubbed out. So next up, Julius Randle made the all-star game, averaging 23 points per game, 10 rebounds, five assists, 47% from the field, 41% from deep. The 41% from deep is shocking, and he's even hit some step backs this year. The maturation of his game has been really impressive to watch. He's still so physical in the paint, takes advantage of those smaller power forwards we see, and he's just become much more efficient and really helped this New York team get in a position where they actually could make the playoffs. And he's right up there, too, for a guy who could be an all-star. And lastly, we have Nikola Vucevic. Yes, the Magic are struggling this year, but look at some of the lineups. They've been decimated by injuries this year. And Vucevic is still putting up 23, 11.7 rebounds, 3.7 assists, 47% from the field, 39% from deep. Carrying this Magic team, he's still one of the best guys scoring in the paint, and he's also an exceptional shooter. Yes, his defense hurts him, but he's still been really dominant. So... Those guys deserve to be all-stars, those last three I just named. But the question is, when we look at the snubs, would I take some of them out? So let's get into that right now. And I'm going to start out with the most egregious snub and the guy I would have put in the, in the all-star game over one of these two. And that's Trey Young. 27 points, 9.5 assists, 43% from, from field goal, 37% from deep. I know the Hawks are 11th in the NBA, but Trey Young is one of the 10 best players on offense. He is an absolute marvel. Yes, his defense hurts him, but I think he's just too good to leave him off there. I think him and Zach Levine are having very similar seasons. I think, I and I still think Trey's been a little bit better. Yes, he's averaging under a point, under the same amount of points, 27 to Levine's 28, but he has way more passes. He's 9.5 assists to five assists only. And the efficiency, you would like it to be a little higher, but I he handles the ball so much, the degree of difficulty on his shots is a lot tougher than what Levine faces. So I really think Trey Young, should have been an all-star. That is a true snub to me for what he does. Just going to the basket, one of the best shooters in the game. I love Trey Young. I know his defense is an issue, but I really think he deserved and needed to be in this game. So for me, Trey Young is an all-star snub, and I would have him in because that's the rule of a snub. If you're going to say a guy snubbed, who would you put him in over? And to me, I would have Trey Young in over Nikola Vucevic. As much as I love Vucevic, Trey Young is a superior offensive player. Vuce is a little bit better on defense, but Vucevic is not that good on defense. So as much as I love to fight for the big men, I cannot defend Trey Young 
out of the all-star game. And he, I would have him in over Nikola Vucevic. Moving on to our next guy, we got Tobias Harris. This is another guy. A lot of Sixers fans wanted to have three all-stars in. Understandable. You are the best team in the in the West, East, sorry. You have, and Tobias Harris is averaging 20 points per game, seven rebounds per game, three assists, and slashing 50, 40, 90, having the best season of his long career. But the truth is he's the third best player on his team. And a lot of the opportunities he gets is because of the gravity a guy like Embiid draws on offense. We know Embiid is the MVP frontrunner for a reason. So as much as I love Simmons, the fact that he's a third option and he just he hasn't been the most impressive guy on his team is why he is not an all-star for me. And I don't consider him a snub. Jimmy Butler, one of my favorite players in the NBA. This is what I love to say about Jimmy Butler. I don't know if he's one of the 10 best players in the NBA, but if you give me a game seven win or go home situation, there are not 10 players I would take over Jimmy Butler because this man rises to the moment. And this season, he's averaged 19.7 rebounds, seven assists. Really complete player. He has really no weakness to his game except for his shooting where he's shooting an abysmal 19% on threes. But speaking of that number 19, it's the reason he's not an all-star. He's only played 19 games. And for me, that's just a little, he needs a little bit more. That's only one third of the season. So it's a little over one third. So to me, he's not an all-star for me. And I know I love Jimmy Butler, so that hurts. But he has to miss out because he's only played in those 19 games. It's just a lot of games to miss, even though we've only played 35, 36 games this season, something like that. And his Heat teammate, Bam Adebayo. Adebayo is having another unbelievable season, averaging 19 points, 9.5 assists, 5.5 rebounds, 57% from the field, and he is such a beast on the defensive end of the floor. This man sometimes will draw the Kevin Durant assignment on defense. He is just guards so many different guys. Yes, the, the Heat are eighth, but the, as I've said, Jimmy Butler's missed time, Dragic has missed time, the young guys have been up and down. Bam has been the constant, consistent player on this team. And this is the one that's probably going to hurt me the most. I do not have Bam Adebayo as an all-star. And I love everything about Bam. But I think some of these other guys have just been a little bit better despite how Bam's versatility is really unmatched across the league. And he does so many things well. But I think he just he's had a couple of letdown performance. He just needed to be a little bit better in certain situations. And the East is just so good. That's why it kills me to not say Bam Adebayo was a snub. Next up, Colin Sexton. He's averaged 23 points per game this season, 4.2 assists. This, the Cavs, the biggest reason not Sexton's going to be in this list is because the Cavs are now the second worst in the East. And he started out hot this, this season, the Cavs did, and they've tailed off a little bit, and he deserves some of the blame for that. He is shooting the ball pretty well, 48% from the field, 40% from deep, but he just, when you're the second worst team in the East, and I still don't think he hasn't done enough to win, particularly that 4.2 assists as the primary ball handler for this team, that's not enough. And that's why Colin Sexton is not an all-star snub. Now, this is another guy who's a really interesting one when you talk about snubs. Chris Middleton. He's averaging 20 points, six rebounds, 5.7 assists, 49.8% on the field goal, 43% from deep, and 89.5 on the free throw line. So why do I throw in the free throw line too? Because that's how close he is to having a 50, 40, 90 season. And the Bucks are third in the East. But once again, this is the same situation. Chris Middleton does so many things well. He's, at, he's, a, he's a nice passer. We know he can hit, especially from the mid-range, he's so deadly. He can create a lot of different shots for himself and other guys. But his numbers are just slightly down. The Bucks are having a slightly worse season this year. And for that reason, with the way the other guys have raised their play, he's not an all-star snub for me, just missing out. And I do love Chris Middleton, what he provides, but just not having a good enough season to be an all-star in this loaded race. Next up, we got Jeremy Grant coming over from Denver, going to the Pistons. He has just had an unbelievable year, averaging 23 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists, 43% from the field, 37% from deep. He is leading this Pistons team in almost a lot of categories. He's their main guy, best player, but they are last in the Eastern Conference for a reason. 
this is what happens when you have a role player step out and take on a larger role, in my opinion. Jeremy Grant made a poor decision going over and deciding he wants to join the Pistons instead of prioritizing winning in Denver. Because reports were the contracts were really similar. I, he's getting the stats he wanted, but I don't have him in an all-star because he has not impacted winning in a positive way. To me, I give Grant credit for developing, but I really feel like a lot of these are empty calorie stats, so he is not an all-star for me. Next up, I'm going to hit into the, this other guy. This is another one that's really close. DeMontis Sabonis, 21 points, 11 rebounds, 5.7 assists, 5.7 assists, 11 rebounds. He, Sabonis has had a really impressive season, and honestly, I, I just love his game. He has such good footwork in the paint, the way he's got. He can finish with either hand posting up. He's even drove to the basket. He's shooting 35% from three, which is much better than he has the last few seasons, 57% from the field, and he's fourth in the East. He's just been so good, so complete. He's really been the best player on this Pacers team. And because of that, I do believe he was an all-star snub, and I would have him in the all-star game. I would have him in over Julius Randle. Yes, he's averaging just a little less, but he's averaging slightly more assists. He gets an extra rebound, and I do think Sabonis makes a few more winning plays every game. He's a little more unselfish, playing big-time ball. I give Sabonis credit. I think he deserved to be in over Julius Randle. It's a tight race. That's where all these guys factor in. Next up, we got a few more guys in the East. And as I, I'm going to just be honest right now. So that's, I'm leaving Zach Levine. That was the one, like he was the border one I'm willing to have a debate about. I'm not ignoring 28, five and five. Levine is in the all-star game. So let's quickly hit these last few guys people claim are snubs. Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Fleet. Both are having solid seasons still. Pascal started the year really poorly, which is why he's going to miss out on the all, which is why he missed out on the all-star game. Van Fleet has also been pretty good. But once again, this race is just too loaded. 19 points. Four and a half rebounds, 6.7 assists is good. But when you are now, I think they're the seventh seed, they crawled way, their way back up. But just with the poor start they had, not enough to be an all-star. As for these other guys, Sabonis' teammate, Malcolm Brogdon, another guy who was awesome to start the year, 21 points, 4.8 assists, 6.6 .6 rebounds, 44% from the field, 39.5% from deep. One of the most underrated point guards in the NBA, for sure a top 10 guy. And once again, they just he's had kind of tailed off these last few weeks, hasn't had the end of the season you'd like to see from a player of end of the all-star, kind of this first half portion of the season ending. You just haven't had the, had the performance you'd like to see out of a guy of his caliber after Victor Oladipo left. So for me, Brogdon is just missing out on the all-star game. And the Hornets guys, Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward, both those guys are right around that 20-point-per-game mark. Both decently efficient, but they are in the seventh seed. And once again, just we've gone over the numbers with these other guys. The other guys have just been a little bit better, which is why both of the Charlotte Hornet guys in Hayward and Rozier just miss out for me. All right, that's going to do it for the Eastern Conference. Let's get into the West. We're diving right in with those reserves. Reserve locks to me, Paul George, 24 points, 6 rebounds, 5.4 assists, 51% from the field, 48% from deep. He's tailed off a little bit as of late, but still, that was only due to injury. He's been so good, especially to start this year when Kawhi was kind of struggling a bit. He really stepped up. He needs to be in the All-Star game, one of the best players in the NBA. And, of course, Damian Lillard. He should have been a starter. That's where we're going to end this argument for him if he should have been an All-Star reserve or not. Rudy Gobert leads the NBA in plus-minus. 13.9 points, 13.5 rebounds, 1.3 assists. 64% from the field, and the defensive player of the year front runner, the Jazz of the number one seed. He's been the biggest catalyst for that on the defensive end, and to me, he is an all-star reserve lock. Next up is the guy I think also would be a lock, and this is one I know that some people would say, I don't know. I'm going with Donovan Mitchell. 24 points, 4.4 rebounds, 5.2 assists, 43% from the field, 38.9% from three. 
I've just been really impressed with Mitchell once again this year. I think he's taken another step. And the things he is able to do from an offensive standpoint and the way the teams have to fear and respect him allows another guy like Mike Conley to have the success they've had. I know Mike Conley's been helping those guys out a lot too, but I think Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell help out Mike Conley, honestly, more than Mike Conley helps them out. That's just a personal opinion, and I haven't watched every single Jazz game, no, but I still believe Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are these two teams' best players, and they need to be representing them in the All-Star game. I've been impressed with Mitchell, as I mentioned. He is an All-Star lock to me. So, the three guys I'm willing to have a debate about if they belong or not. Let's start out first. Chris Paul, he's averaged 16 points per game, 4.5 rebounds, 8.5 assists, 48% from, from the field, 39.5% from three, and they're fourth in the Western Conference, the Suns are. So Paul's going to be a fun and interesting one as we go into the snubs, especially because we know his teammate, Devin Booker, was the one most people were clamoring was the biggest snub. So that'll be a fun debate to have between those two teammates. So moving on to our next guy, Zion Williamson. This is another guy. He is averaging 25 points per game in just his second season, 6.8 rebounds, three assists, 61% from the field, 35% from three. Zion has really come on strong as of late, and I've been so impressed with his play. Yes, on the defensive end, he struggles, but on offensively, he on transition, he just got to get out of the way when he catches the ball in the paint, attacking the basket. He is the freight train as advertised, and he is such a deadly threat. So impressed with his game. And then Anthony Davis. We know how good Anthony Davis is. I don't need to read you the stats. Yes, he's been struggling a little bit this year, but if struggling is 22 points and amazing defense, I think a lot of guys will take that struggling. So for Davis, though, the reason I'm willing to have a debate is he did only play 23 games. That would be the that is the least amount of anyone who was named the all-star reserve. So let's get into those snubs and how it impacts everything. And the first guy I'm going to talk about is Devin Booker, averaging 24.7 points per game, 3.8 assists, 4.3 or 3.8 rebounds, 4.3 assists, 50% from the field, 38% from deep. I'm agreeing with LeBron. Devin Booker is the most disrespected player in the league. And honestly, I understand the Chris, the reason Chris Paul is an all-star over Devin Booker is because people say, oh, look how much better the Suns have gotten this year. But honestly, I think the Suns were already rising before Chris Paul arrived. The job they did in the bubble going 8-0, I think this team still would have been in the playoffs. Booker would have been having a better season if he didn't sacrifice and give the ball into Paul's hands a little bit more. Devin Booker is still this team's best player. And for that reason, he is an all-star stub to me. I would have had him in the game over Chris Paul. Love Chris Paul. I think Chris Paul is getting a little too much credit for the development of this Denver Nuggets team, taking away what Monty Williams has also done an incredible job and the star that Devin Booker is. Devin Booker should have been an all-star over Chris Paul. Next guy we got is Mike Conley, averaging 16 points per game, 3.4 assists, 5.6 rebounds, 44.7% on field goals, and 41.2% from deep. So I really like Mike, like I mentioned earlier, but he's the third best player on this Jazz team. I know there's some metrics and stats of how effective he's been, but I just think he's been the third best player. It's similar to the Tobias Harris argument. And yes, I think Mike Conley's having a better season than Tobias Harris. But I just look at it and say, these other two guys are the best two players on this team. I think part of the reason you're having this success is because of how well those two guys are doing. And for those reasons, I'm sorry, but Mike Conley is going to retire as the best player to never make an all-star team. I just think it's going to happen. This guy is another really interesting debate. Shea Gilligas-Alexander, 22.8 points per game, 5.8 rebounds, 6.5 assists, 50% from the deal, from the field, 40% from deep. Him and Lou Dort, and I guess Al Horvitz played pretty well, are the only reason this Thunder team is competitive and not the worst team in, honestly, the NBA. Because if you look at the roster outside of those guys, you'd be like, oh my gosh, this group belongs in the G League, not the NBA. So give Shea a lot of credit. I just love the way he's continued to evolve. Learning and mentoring from Paul last year, I did think helped him take another step forward. And I've been really impressed by his play this year. He's such a great two-way player. Been able to get it done as the main option. And I'm excited to see what he can continue to do as he grows. But he's not an all-star to me. 
because Zion to me has just been a little bit more impressive and same thing with Anthony Davis on the defensive end. So to me, he's just going to miss out just barely. Another guy who's just barely going to miss out for me is Brandon Ingram. Yes, 23 points per game, five five rebounds a game, 4.7 assists, shooting it efficiently from the field and deep. But honestly, once again, I don't think he's their team's best player. I really think Zion is. Zion has come on strong lately and the Pelicans have started to play better when Zion has played better. So that's why he's just going to miss out for me. And the same thing for De'Aaron Fox, 22.5 points per game, three rebounds, seven assists, 46.8% from deep, 35% from 46% from from field goals, 35% from deep. The Kings are second to last in the West, unfortunately, though. And as much as De'Aaron has raised his play, he still has those nights where he struggles and is just not on the level of these other guys. And the same goes for guys like Ja Morant. Ja is the same reason. He's had a nice season, but he's just not on those other guys' level. Only played in 19 games as well, so he would miss the team for the same reasons I said to Jimmy Butler would miss my all-star team. And last guy who would be considered a snub, I guess, is Christian Wood. The only reason we're talking about Christian Wood is because he said casuals. He thought he was a snub. And I will say, here's Christian Wood's case is that the first 17 games or so of the season that he played were, I'm sorry, not first 17 games. I read the number. He's only played in 17 games this year. So that's why he's not going to be an all-star as good as he's been. And he's probably going to win most improved player for the 22 points, 10 rebounds, 1.3 assists, 58% from the field, 42 from deep. He's been awesome. The Rockets have been struggling without him, but he's only played in 17 games. That's just a fact and not enough to be an all-star in this loaded year for me. So as we're just going back and recapping, Chris Paul out, Devin Booker in for me. Zion Williamson and Anthony Davis in. And yes, once Anthony Davis was out due to injury designation, then I would have had Chris Paul in, kind of flopping what Adam Silver and the NBA did when they said, oh, hey, Anthony Davis is out the game. Devin Booker will be the replacement. So I'm just swapping that. One guy that would have been fun in this discussion, by the way, that we'll just never know is CJ McCollum. Through 13 games a season, he was averaging 26 points per game. Really would have loved to see what he could have continued to do if he stayed healthy. But that's just a guy we'll never know how the season would have turned out. And that's unfortunate, and hopefully he's able to get back in time to still do some fun stuff come playoff time. So that's going to do it for going over the all-star reserves and snubs. I think you guys after that should be all tired out and done with the snub talk and everything because we just went through the case for every guy. But I am going to make the case for something else because, as I just said, a lot of my reasons for keeping some of these guys out are is they're really deserving. These other guys I just think have been a little bit better. So this is what the NBA needs to do. There are only 12 roster spots for the all-star game, but there are 15 on NBA rosters. So why would the NBA have the difference? And the answer is, I have no clue. The NBA needs to expand. If you expand the regular rosters to 15, expand the all-star roster to 15. There are more than enough guys who are deserving. Think about the number of guys I just went over that were snubs. Even if you add in three more from each conference, we'd still have a few guys who were snubbed. Honestly, there's guys, and these guys, like you say, like, oh, I don't know if they're quite all-stars. Well, then why is it every year when we talk about these guys, it's like, oh, he's playing at an all-star level, even though he just missed out. Well, if he's playing at an all-star level, let's expand the field a little bit and get this guy in the game. I don't like the reason of, oh, it's not the way we've done it in the past. If the reason is, well, it's, I'm not saying it's, you're wrong. It's just not how we've done it in the past. Well, no, it's time to change what was wrong then and start making things right. Include more players in the all-star game. These guys are deserving of being all-star all-stars. There's no reason you can't have three more spots like the regular NBA does. And I really think it's something the NBA needs to change is just the way that this has gone so far. So I really think expand it to 15. We had way too many snubs this year. It's time to make a change. So now we're completely done with the all-star game, but with the last topic of the day is of course my big takeaway. And that is about letting NBA players develop. If guys aren't don't come out red hot in the rookie years like Jason Tatum, Luka Doncic, or Lamelo Ball. We as fans hit the panic button. Everyone freaks out. We drafted a bust. We need to get rid of this, these guys. But what a lot of people are forgetting is, hey, let's remember, 
first of all, Luca played overseas pro. Tatum is just special. And same thing with LaMelo. It takes time for these guys to develop. Some of these guys come in in the NBA at 19 years old. Think about you at 19 years old. Could you handle even your main job at 19 years old? A lot of people take time for them to grow and develop as people. So it's going to take these kids, honestly, these guys who are my age, to develop and become NBA players. And I just think that's something as fans we have to be mindful of is to sit back, relax, give these guys a chance to develop and become players. Don't quickly hit the bust, bust, butt, bust panic panic button just because there are other guys who are performing a little better than your guy right now. So let's dive into some of those guys that just took them a little bit of time, but they're starting to ball. The most recent example, in my opinion, was Markel Fultz. It was his fourth year in the league, and how good was he playing early? Really looked like he was destined for a breakout. Yes, he got hurt again, and maybe injuries will derail his career. But if it wasn't for that injury, man, he was looking like he was going to have a special season. So that's another guy. Everyone, everyone was listing Markel Fultz as like the biggest on the biggest bust ever list. And what if he still turns around with the magic? A very real possibility if he could just stay healthy. I know it's a big if, but I really think it's possible. Another guy who was recent. How about Colin Sexton? At the end of his first year, we were calling this guy a cancer. He was toxic in the locker room. He had all these issues. He's inefficient. And then after they moved on from John Beeline his second year, Davey Bickerstaff took over, we saw Sexton make the jump. And now I'm talking about him as a potential all-star snub for a reason because of how good he was once again. But this is a guy after his first year, oh, he's too selfish, this and that. And look at the way his teammates love and cheer him on now. I think Sexton's a guy who's gotten way too much hate. And the next, these other guys we got, these are my favorite examples, honestly, because these guys, it took them six year. How about Julius Randle and Zach Levine? They feels like they've been playing in the league forever, right? So Randall was 26 years old and Levine was 20 is just 25 years old. Both guys have been in the league for six years and it feels like we've been talking about them. Oh, I don't know if they can take that next leap. I know a lot of like a lot of people had given up on Randall. So they were stunned by him. I never thought Levine would get to the all-star level. I always thought he was going to be this empty calorie stack guy. And I know they haven't won enough games, but this year I really think it's not on him. So I give Levine a ton of credit for his maturation and both these guys. It just took them a while to develop. It's six years in and they're finally having the best season of their careers. And my favorite example of all of these, how about Tobias Harris? He's in his ninth season. He played on the, outside of the 76ers, he's played on the Bucks for a few seasons, the Magic, the Pistons, the Clippers, all these teams like, oh, could we finally get the best of Tobias Harris? Tobias Harris? It took him until he was 28 years old, nine-year NBA veteran to see the best. Another guy a lot of people gave up on and were like, huh, he's a bust. So I, I just really, I think it's crazy how fast we move on and give up from guys. Yes, not every, I'm not saying everyone has to have the patience of Tobias Harris. But remember, it might take five or six years for your young player to really become the special dude he's supposed to be, like it did for Zach Levine and Julius Randle. A couple of other recent guys, too, that have kind of like broken out after giving some time to develop. I mean, how about Christian Wood? His first game was in 2015 for the 76ers, and he's just now in 2021 averaging over 20 points per game. How about DeMontis Sabonis? Do you guys remember him with the Thunder, how bad he was when they were just trying to make him a stretch four next to Steven Adams? Then he gets traded to the Pacers. They let him play. He's still a power forward, but they let him pay in the paint because Miles Turner can shoot the three. Totally unlocked and helped advance his game. Even a guy like Ben Simmons, who's only been in the league for a few years. Ben Simmons is only 24. I still think there's a world in five years where he can, he's knocking down threes and maybe not the most consistent level, but he can do it and he will continue to grow and evolve his game. And this, I can even say the same thing for Andrew Wiggins. I know he's 26. He's been in the league for like seven years. But honestly, what if next year you get Clay and Curry back and we've seen the best version of Wiggins we've ever seen? He's another guy. It just might take him a while to develop. And I really think he could be in a similar case. He is only a year older than Zach Levine and the same age as Julius Randle, guys who just broke out. 
Another fun one to watch is Karis LeVert. Yeah, I know he's been hovering around the 18 points per game, and he's been a potential breakout guy, but I think Karis LeVert is the kind of guy who's like a Zach Levine. We've been monitoring the potential breakout for a while, and I think next year it could finally happen for LeVert like it did for Levine this current year. So let's just remember, I think we could all use a little bit of patience in everything we do, especially when we're evaluating the players on our favorite NBA teams. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you guys so much, as always, for listening. I really appreciate the support. Hope you enjoyed talking about the All-Star snubs, listening to it as much as I enjoyed talking about it with you guys. And I will see you guys next week. Signing off.